So today, uh, we will be continuing um, our topic of uh, decision-making. We've been talking about decision-making over the past couple of weeks, and we continue to do that again. And this time, we're going to be reading from Romans 7, verses 7 to 25. In addition to the scriptures uh, that we'll be hearing this morning, we'll also be referring to the Reformed Confession of Heidelberg Catechism. We again read that uh, three of those questions that we're going to be focusing on in this passage, with this passage as well. We read that earlier in the time of confession and assurance. So these two readings will help us understand the problem of sin in our lives and in our decisions. And this is not to make us feel unworthy, but it's to remind us that we are worthy because of what Christ has done for us through his once and for all sacrifice, where he's removed all our sins. When we come to God confessing our sins, it's not to shame us, but it's for us to realize that all our sins are forgiven. As Tanya said in the children's message, the important thing is to know that God loves you. So before we continue, um, in a moment, reading from Romans 7, let's uh, pray to our Lord and Savior uh, for God's Spirit to be upon us to help us better understand what he's saying to us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for you, um, for providing for all our needs. We thank you for um, you providing your holy word. And as we read from your word, may your spirit stir our hearts to see Jesus and to focus on his redemptive power in our lives. May your spirit work in us to encourage us and challenge us to respond in obedience to you and your will. Bless the reading of your word, the preaching of your word, and the listening to your word. Through the power of your spirit, may we be convicted of our sins and have the knowledge that we are saved through Jesus. And it's only in his holy name we pray. Amen. So Romans 7, 7 to 25. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I'm just going to stop there briefly. I know the, the, the verses will still stay on the screen for a moment, but uh, we'll get to that in a moment. Um, basically, here in this section, Paul is accusing the law of provoking sin in his life. And so he goes on to say, ask the question rather, is the law sinful? And he answers that by saying no. The law is holy, righteous, and good. He's saying that the law, though, may have a disastrous effect, but that's not caused by the law, but rather the disastrous effect is actually caused by sin itself. So we blame sin. 
Sin makes it impossible for us to obey the law. And then we, but we realize we do fall short. And without Christ, the law will result in death. So let's carry on now as Paul provides his story and our story of living with sin. So we continue with verse 15. And as we go through this next part, you can think of uh, the analogy that we heard in the children's message as well about the, the yo-yo and how we so often change directions. So Paul says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Do you see that effect of the yo-yo there? Now if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So now let's unpack that passage a little bit. We start off by being reminded this morning of a movie. Ten years ago, this Narnia movie came out titled The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. It's based on C.S. Lewis' book with the same name. And in this movie, we are reintroduced to Edmund and Lucy and their annoying cousin, Eustace. And the three teenagers enter Narnia and they find themselves on Prince Caspian's ship, the Dawn Treader. Overall, this movie is about defeating evil and saving the islands of Narnia. On their journey, fighting against evil the travelers must resist the evil forces of the Dark Island. Dark Island represents their darkest nightmares, their worst fears, and their most terrible thoughts come true. So as they travel in this utter darkness to this island, Edmund hears a voice. And Edmund's, the voice says, Edmund, I can make you my king and so much more. And as the thirst for power enters Edmund's minds and his thoughts, this results in this enormous sea serpent just attempting to overthrow the ship and leaving no survivors. Throughout this movie, the viewer is reminded that we all have sin. We all have sin within us. Eustace is the little brat with a big mouth and he attempts to put down his older cousins and and anyone else in his path. Lucy covets the beautiful looks of her older sister and desires to be like her sister. Edmund desires power and the kingdom of Narnia from Caspian. As the movie goes on, we're told by a magician that to defeat the darkness out there, 
You must defeat the darkness in here, inside yourself. You need to be aware of what is inside of you, and only then can you begin to be aware of what is around you. You see, this movie is not only about a voyage of the Don Treader. This movie is a voyage of self-awareness. And it begs us to ask the questions, why do I do what I do? Why do I decide one thing when I should be deciding another? Paul provides us a good example of how sin operates in our lives and impacts our decisions. We're to be aware of the darkness of the sin inside of us. Sin is like this tug of war in our lives. It's a tension. It's like that yo-yo going in one direction and automatically in another direction. We know what we want to do, but we don't always do it. We know that things are wrong, and yet sometimes it seems so appealing to do the wrong. And Paul summarizes in this sin in this passage with one word. And the word in verses 7 and 8 that he uses is covet. To covet is to desire what belongs to another and to have it for yourself. To covet is, it, it covers many sins because it, attempts, it is t- attempting to put yourself ahead of others and attempts your, to put yourself even ahead of God. Covet is self-centeredness. Eustace covers recognition and importance. Lucy covets good looks. Edmund, Edmund cover, covets power and control. What is it that you covet? Humanity by nature covets things. Humanity desires things. And there's no age exemption to our covetousness. At an early age uh, in our our life, our, our human nature demands things. And even when we get what we want, we still want more. We want more attention, more food, more money, more power, more freedom, more comfort. And... Our lists go on. We never have enough. We're never satisfied. And when we lack, we have the tendency to take from others. By nature, we are coveters. We are self-centered. And sometimes we even find it difficult to be happy for someone when they receive something better than we do. You've ever had that? Probably. And when it comes to making decisions, by nature, our decisions will be based on our desires and how the outcome of the decision can typically benefit us. By nature, that's who we created ourselves to be. The the HC, the Heidelberg Catechism, defines sin as a natural tendency to hate God and our neighbor. These are harsh words, but it speaks of the reality of our nature. Romans 3.23, Paul proclaims, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, Christians do not define sin merely as moral flaws or failures to obey God's will. Sin is not only about our actions. Sin is an alienation or separation from a loving, harmonious relationship with God our Maker. And this alienation occurred in the Garden of Eden. 
And we're still prone to that in our nature. Question three of the catechism, again, we talked about this earlier, it refers to the word misery. And the Heidelberg Catechism was originally written, as we said, in German, and the German word for misery can be translated out of this land or country. And that means that we are aliens, that we are foreigners in this land. We are aliens from our homeland. God created his people perfect in a perfect world. But then Adam and Eve became aliens from the garden. And as a result of this original sin, we are aliens and we are foreigners in this broken world. Misery, being out of this, being out of this land, being alien, is the pain, the suffering, the wretchedness that comes from sin. And since we are all sinners... We are all in a broken world with an alienated relationship with one another and with God. And our natural tendency then, as the Catechism states, is to hate. Now Christians also claim that not only humans are alienated from God, but all of creation is alienated. Animals, plants, human social institutions such as churches... Romans 8.22, Paul states, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So it's not just humanity that suffers misery in this world, but the whole creation suffers from the stain of sin. The whole creation suffers from alienation. Now all things belong to God. But then we've just said that all things have been tainted by sin. So there is nothing in this creation or in ourselves that we can point to and say, look, here's something or someone who's been untouched by sin. Sin permeates every corner. Scripture states that nothing escapes the misery in this world. In a book titled Blue Like Jazz, Christian author Donald Miller states, quote, I knew because of my own feelings there was something wrong with me. And I knew it wasn't only me. I knew it was everybody. It was like a bacteria or cancer or a trance. And it wasn't on the skin. It was in the soul. Miller goes on to state, It showed itself in loneliness and lust and anger and jealousy and depression. It had people screwed up bad everywhere he went. At the store, at home, at church. It was ugly and it was deep. Lots of singers on the radio were singing about it and cops had jobs because of it. It was as if we were broken. It was as if we were cracked. Couldn't love right. Couldn't feel good things for very long without screwing it all up. End quote. God created humanity to be loved and to love. But because of our self-centeredness, we have the ability to be the worst of sinners. Timothy 1, 15, Paul proclaims, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Now this is pretty heavy stuff. I, I get that. Romans 7 is not intended to beat us up. But it is intended to get us asking, why do we do what we do? And why do we make the decisions we do? And if we don't ask these questions, we don't realize 
that we are in need of a cure. It's like being on the Titanic and saying, I don't need a life jacket. When something is bringing damage and destruction to our bodies, whether it is COVID-19 or any other illness, cancer or mental illness, we need to recognize that something is wrong. And we need to recognize that in order to get the cure. And then we desperately seek out a cure. So there becomes this tension, there's this tug of war. When the people would have read this letter from Paul, the Jewish listeners could have heard Paul referring to the Mosaic Law. They, they could have thought in their mind, oh yeah, he's talking about the Ten Commandments or the Torah or the five books of Moses. Or, or maybe he's talking about the whole Bible, which at that time would have been the Old Testament, which had a total of 613 Jewish laws. Piece of cake, right? But the law cannot save us from our sins. And if, if, in fact, we count on the law and we know we break the law, it actually leads to death. So people, brothers and sisters, only Jesus can save us from our sins and he has already done that. Now, Jesus did not come to abolish the law because the law, God's word, makes us aware of our sins. And as we heard the statement from the Don Treader that before we deal with the darkness out there, we need to deal with the darkness in here. The law is on account of God's gracious love. The law is there to help us. It's not there to hurt us. The law provides us direction in our decision-making and living out our responses to our God. So God's word, his law, makes us aware that we are sinners. And remember, Christ came to seek and to save the lost. He came for the sinners. God's word makes us aware that we are in need of something, or rather, someone. Someone who can rescue us from all our sins. Someone who can cure us. There's a story of a mother who was putting her young child to bed for a nap one afternoon. And the young child asked her mother to just please close the curtains because so much dust comes into the room when the sun is shining in. You see, the child thought the dust was only there when the sun shone in. But the dust was always there. It only became visible through the sunlight. You see, the law makes our sins that are always there visible to us. The law shows the dust in our hearts. 1 John 1, verse, uh, 1 John 1, verse 8 to 10, we read, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our hearts, in our lives. People of God, our sins have already been forgiven once and for all by the amazing act of love and grace of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. We confess our sins to make us aware that we are sinful and that we are in need of a Savior, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins. The law makes us realize that we cannot do things on our own. 
The law points us towards our dependence upon Jesus Christ, the only one who can save us from all our sins. So Paul addresses the law, and he addresses our sins in Romans 7. And I don't want to just leave it there. We can't just leave it there. Because Paul addresses God's amazing grace in Romans 7 as well. As Paul states in the last two verses, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body subject to death? And then he goes on to say, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus has rescued us. Yes, this message, this passage, and this message has talked a lot about sin. Sin is at work in us. But for the follower of Jesus Christ, there is something more at work in us. And we can thank God for that. We are sinners, but Jesus came to seek and to save the sinners. Jesus didn't come for the healthy. Jesus came for the sick. So let's admit it. We're sick. We need him. Jesus is our cure. So let us acknowledge our sickness and our sin. Let us acknowledge that our natural tendency is to sin and to hate. And God's word makes us aware of this. And again, it's not to put us down, but rather it is to bring Christ up. Because Jesus has taken all our sins upon him. And he has made us holy. And he continues to sanctify us. He continues to transform us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Acknowledging our sins and our wrong decisions allows us to see the power of Jesus at work in our lives. It's to see. It allows us to see all that Jesus has done for us. To see that we have value through his death and resurrection. The redemption that Christ freely offers us through his body and shed blood on the cross breaks through our sins. And again, he has taken all our sins upon him. And we look forward to that day when God will make everything new. There is hope. We don't have to let our natural tendency to win. The Spirit of God is in us. So people, we are no longer aliens in this world. Christ has brought reconciliation between God and us. 1 Peter 2, verses 9-10, through 10, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. When we realize that we are sinners, we will also realize that we are saved by grace through Jesus. And through the cross of Jesus, we are saints before God. And as we go out and live out that good news and proclaim that good news, as we do that, we live it out, we proclaim that Jesus saves. And as we heard on the children's video too, know that whatever we have done or not done, God continues to love us. And we have the opportunity to respond 
in obedience to his will. And together we say, Amen. Let's pray. Father God, you created this world perfect, and yet humanity fell into sin. And we know that we live in a broken and sinful world, and we too are broken and sinful. Help us to be aware of our sins and our shortcomings, not so that we beat ourselves up or beat others up, but so we can recognize our need for you. Thank you that even in our brokenness, you, can, you still desire a relationship with us and that you want to save us from all our sins. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, work in us and help us to see your love and grace in our lives and to see that we are forgiven sinners only through Jesus. And Lord, because of what you have done for us, we continue to give our praise and thanksgiving. We thank you for your many good gifts and rich blessings. Thank you for new life that you give to each of us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your new mercies each and every morning. Thank you for your church and the many ministries that challenge and equip us to seek you and to reach out to all people. Lord, we also lift up those among us who continue to struggle. And we pray for those who struggle spiritually. Holy Spirit, continue to work in the hearts of your people and give faith and peace to your people. We pray for those who have mental or emotional struggles. And we pray for those who are having relational problems. We pray that relationships can be worked on and that reconciliation and restoration can take place and recognize that that looks differently in each circumstance. We pray for those who have lost loved ones, whether years gone by or even recently. Grandparents, uncles, aunts, siblings. Lord, may your people sense your nearness and love and the love of the community of the saints. We lift up those who are physically struggling. Lord, we think of Marilyn and we thank you that she can play for us today. We pray for Stefan and Troy and Martha and we ask that you bring healing to them. We pray for those who deal daily with chronic pain and how that impacts them and their families. Give strength to your people. We pray for those going for tests or procedures or treatments. Be near to them and give courage to them and wisdom to the professionals. We lift up those in this world and we think of various areas impacted by weather and disasters. Many areas continue to be impacted by COVID or other diseases or lack of resources. Give courage, wisdom, and strength to your people. And we lift up brokenness throughout this world. And may followers of Jesus be a light in this dark world. May Christians be a beacon of hope. And help us to show mercy and go forward showing the love of Jesus through our actions. May your spirit continue to stretch us and to use us to work in your harvest field, sharing how you want a relationship with your people. Hear our prayers, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.